Welcome to the Hands Up, Don't Shoot podcast, where I, your host, Ashley France Howell, tell the stories of Black victims of police brutality. You can support this show by going to buymeacoffee.com slash Hudspod. Welcome to episode 22. Today, I'll be telling you the stories of Dominique Clayton and Carlos Alcis. So this First story is a little different than the ones I usually do because of the circumstances behind the victim's death and the alleged intent of the police officer. So here goes. Dominique Lachelle Clayton was from Oxford, Mississippi, and her mother was Bessie Clayton. She was known as Lucy to her friends and family, and based on many of the articles that I read, Dominique had a pretty close-knit family that cared a lot about her. She also had four children, Tykez, Jadarius, Kyasia, and Lanija. I will say that it was extremely difficult to find her birthday, but I can infer that she was born in either 1986 or in 1987. She passed away in 2019 and she was 32 when she died. So based on when her birthday was, the year would be either of the two that I just mentioned. So during the weekend of May 18th and 19th of 2019, Dominique was getting some alone time at home. Her children were staying with their uncle that weekend and he was supposed to drop them off on that Sunday. When they came home on Sunday, May 19th, Dominique's youngest son, her eight-year-old Jadarius, was the first one to go inside of the home. Everyone was in a great mood, and he wanted to see if he could get his mom to come outside for a harmless prank. Um, I think it had something to do with a, a snake or something like that. Not long after going inside and looking for his mother, Jadarius came back outside to tell his siblings and uncle that his mother was dead. And my heart breaks so much for this young boy. I mean, I cannot imagine being an eight-year-old and having to see my mother dead from a violent crime. Dominique was 32 years old. It was quickly learned that an officer named Matthew Kinney was having an affair with Dominique and he was the reason behind her death. Officer Kinney was a married man. And Dominique's family said that she and Officer Kinney had been dating for about a year. And Kinney was paying for a lot of her expenses. They said that he had purchased Dominique a car in his name. And he was even planning on purchasing her a home. So why kill her? Well, we also learned from the family that Dominique told them that she thought she was pregnant and she had actually told Officer Kinney sometime before her death. 
He then visited Dominique unexpectedly, and she told her sister that she was afraid Kenny might hurt her. He didn't want his wife finding out about the affair. So remember, this is all alleged, but right now this seems to be the most plausible story. On Monday, May 20th, Officer Kinney was arrested for the murder of Dominique. He was charged with capital murder, and that carries a death penalty sentence. He pleaded not guilty. Kinney was immediately terminated from the Oxford Police Department on May 21st. The Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, also known as the MBI, took over the case and they began to build a case against Kinney. They determined that he snuck into Dominique's home while she was sleeping and shot her in the back of the head. On May 24th, Oxford Mayor Robin Tannehill asked the Mississippi Attorney General Jim Hood's office to conduct an internal investigation into the Oxford Police Department on behalf of the city. On behalf of Dominique's family, their attorney, Carlos Moore, filed a wrongful death lawsuit for $5 million against the city of Oxford in 2019. The letter, alongside the filing, mentions that there was an intimate relationship between Dominique and Officer Kinney. It said that he would frequently visit Dominique's house in the middle of the night, most of the time while he was on duty. The letter also said, quote, he would arrive at around 1.30 a.m. and 2.30 a.m. and leave around 4 a.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Prior to her death, Miss Clayton informed Officer Kinney of the possibility that she was pregnant, end quote. On Wednesday, May 22nd, when Kinney's charges were presented, Dominique's family had some reservations about the presiding judge, Judge Andrew Howarth. They viewed him as too casual in the way he handled Dominique's case. One thing that stuck out to them when he was talking to the prosecutors and defense attorneys when they were discussing a, quote, reasonable bail for Kinney. He even joked when the officers had to take a break to find the charging affidavit. Dominique's family demanded that the judge be replaced, and the judge recused himself the very next day and was replaced by Judge John A. Gregory. Again, Kinney pleaded not guilty to the capital murder charge, and as of May 2021, he is still being held at the Union County Jail in New Albany, Mississippi, awaiting trial. A tentative trial date has been set for October 11th of this year, so hopefully there will be an update then. It's been two years and justice for Dominique still hasn't been served, but her family continues to keep her in their memory by maintaining a memorial for Dominique outside of the family home. And that family was the story of Dominique Clayton. 
Now I'm going to tell you the story of Carlos Alcis. This story is also a bit different when it comes to the circumstances surrounding Carlos's death because of how he died. Carlos Alcis was born in 1970 in Jacmel, Haiti. In 2000, when he was 30 years old, Carlos and his wife, Ana, decided to emigrate to the United States to make a better life for their family. They had eight children together. Carlos was known to be a very hardworking man and got a job stocking a place called Bobby's Department Store in Brooklyn, New York. On August 15, 2013, at 5.30 in the morning, a 21-year-old woman was walking near the intersection of Kings Highway and Rockaway Parkway, and she was suddenly punched in the face by someone who then took her iPhone. There was a witness to the incident, and they claimed to have followed the thief to the building where Carlos and his family had lived in a basement apartment. The cops were called, and the witness told them that the robber, who was wearing red pants, ran into that building. So the cops started going door to door searching for the suspect, and officials from the New York Police Department claimed that they knocked on the Alcises' door, and Carlos Alcis let them in. But neighbors said that they actually pried the door open. And I will get a link to a picture of where there are pry marks on the family's door. So, I mean, the police say one thing, the family says another, and then we have the picture. So you can take that how you see fit. It was the middle of the night, so the whole family was sleeping at the time. And when the officers barged in, they had flashlights, the works. Carlos asked who the officers were and why they were there. His son, 15-year-old Emmanuel, just so happened to be wearing red basketball shorts at the time. He said he was in his bed when a cop had shown a flashlight in his face and began to immediately question him. They even dragged him to the backyard to ask someone, quote, is that him? She said that it wasn't, and Emmanuel was allowed to go back inside of the home. Back inside, Carlos had dropped to the ground, and he began to shake uncontrollably. Even though it was clear that Carlos was in a terrible state, the police continued to search the home despite Carlos's condition, even with blood coming from his mouth. Emmanuel said an officer finally checked his father for a pulse, then made Emmanuel participate in life-saving measures by blowing air into his father's mouth while they started chest compressions. And this is a job that officers are trained to perform in similar medical situations, so Emmanuel should not have been participating in that. Not only were life-saving measures not going well, the ambulance was delayed in reaching the scene 
because it was accidentally sent to the wrong address due to a miscommunication with the 911 dispatcher. The ambulance was first sent to the scene of the robbery instead of to the family's home. The call for the ambulance was placed at 6.06 a.m., but it didn't arrive until 6.29 a.m., which is over 20 minutes later. And what makes things even worse is that their home was only a few blocks from the nearest hospital. Carlos was pronounced dead at the scene. Carlos was 43 years old. Not long after the incident, the iPhone was found in front of a nearby building and a 16-year-old boy was arrested in connection to the robbery. But guess how the phone was found? They used the Find My iPhone app. <laughs> the police went through all of that and even caused the man's death when from the beginning... They could have just used the app to find the iPhone and track the person from there. A medical examiner ruled that Carlos died from a heart attack stemming from cardiovascular disease. Carlos's family sued the city of Brooklyn for $10 million, but I was actually unable to find the outcome of the lawsuit. Carlos's body was taken back to his home in Haiti and buried about a month after his death on September 14th, 2013. And that family was the story of Carlos Alcise. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for Hudspod. And you can support the show by going to buymeacoffee.com slash Hudspot. Remember, Hudspot is spelled H-U-D-S-P-O-D. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you get the latest episodes. And if you don't mind, please leave me a five-star review. Stay safe, and I'll see you next week.